Good morning. Thank you for having me back again. Y'all are gluttons for punishment. So, <laughs> um, Have you ever gotten in a spot where you have a pretty good idea of what God wants you to do, but there's something dragging you in another direction? It's like, <clears throat> I know I need to do this or that. I need to believe the Holy Spirit is saying to me, but I cannot bring myself to it. You ever been there? There's sort of that crossroads of obedience. He's telling you this and you want to do that. You're struggling at times. I want to... Uh, I want to help you this morning take that first step of belief or obedience. The story, the story we're going to continue from when I was here a couple of weeks ago in John 11, the uh, story where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The, the story's built around the resurrection. But there's some other things we can glean from it. And so I, I want to look at it again this morning with that in mind. And with the idea that uh, maybe we can help each other in, in that area of being obedient when God's spirit begins to say something to us. Um, let's pray for just a second. God, we ask that you would uh, rule and overrule here, that you would um, speak from your word to us, and that you would help us to be those who are obedient to the nudgings and speaking of the Spirit of God to our hearts. Lord, we want to bring glory and honor to you, and so we ask, Lord, that you would, um, again, speak to us this morning from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'd like to do is I want to pick up the story and read back a part of what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Um, we'll start in verse 25, actually verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the heart of the message right there, of this passage anyway, excuse me. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she said that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus said, or Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus began groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. May God bless his word. So how do you handle it when the Spirit of God begins to nudge on you and says something to you and you're, you're pretty sure it's him? Maybe you hear something that you don't want to think it's him. You know, I'm not sure I want to do that, Lord. How do you handle that? Well, I want to suggest to you that there needs to be, first of all, immediate obedience. And I want to get that out of verse 28. When, uh, when Martha finished her discussion with Jesus, it says she snuck away secretly and went and found Mary. Now, we don't know all the other part of the conversation, but apparently Jesus has indicated he wanted to speak to Mary. So Martha goes to Mary, says, come on, Jesus is calling for you. And I want you to note what Mary did. As soon, verse 29, as soon as she heard that, she jumped up and went right to Jesus. I think if you're going to hear the Holy Spirit and you're going to struggle with it, you're probably going to have trouble getting it done. But if you hear the Holy Spirit and you jump up and immediately do it, you're going to probably walk in obedience a lot easier. I know that's where I struggle. It's that initial point where he begins to indicate he wants to do something, and then I try to rationalize it. You ever tried to argue or rationalize with God? I'm here to tell you, after walking with him for 40 plus years, it's a losing proposition. <laughs> when God begins to speak to you and you know it's God, the best thing you can do is say, yes, Lord, and get up and go do it. It may be irrational to you, it may be weird to you, but just get up and go do it. Remember the story of Abraham? God came to him and said, uh, I want you to sacrifice your son. That's really rational. 
That's really a smart thing to do. Here's the promised son, the one I've waited 25 years for. He's about 11 to 14 years old, scholars believe. I mean, your heart's just in this kid. And he says, I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and put him on an altar and you're going to sacrifice him to me. That's a tough one. What did Abraham do? Do you all remember? Got up the very first thing the next morning and left. That's immediate obedience. When, when things come at you that you don't really understand and you're pretty sure it's from the Holy Spirit, I challenge you to just do it. You know, Nike, just do it. <laughs> and see what God does. You've stepped out in faith. You've stepped out past yourself. You've stepped into what God wants to do in and through you. And when you've done that, then the rest is up to him. You're in his hands. And when you do that, I want you to notice verse 31. It says, Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her. That's just a little sideline, but listen, when you walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit and you act in immediate obedience, I believe others will follow you. <clears throat> That's what we want. We want others to follow us to what God has for us and for them as well. Do you think any of those folks knew what they were about to get into? They thought she was going to the tomb to cry and to weep and you know, mourn over her brother. And they were about to see the resurrection of a dead man. They had no idea. We don't always know what we're leading other people into when we take immediate steps of obedience to follow God. But when we do, and we bet on God, we'll always come out on top, I believe. In fact, these folks, because they followed her, in verse 45, I don't know if you picked it up, but it says, Then many of the Jews had come to Mary and had, had seen the things Jesus did. What? They believed in him. They put their faith in him. When we step out, in immediate obedience to God. Others probably will follow. And it may be that they will come to know Jesus as their Savior. Or their faith will deepen as they see you walk out in faith. This occurred to me as I was preparing for this. Um, turn, if you have your Bible, just turn over to John chapter 5. I think it's coming up on the screen here in a second. But in John chapter 5, Jesus makes a really intriguing <clears throat> statement. It's sort of startling. In John chapter 5, verse 17, he says, But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. The two of them are working together, right? This is one and the same. But then go down to verse um, 17. He continues. He's, he's de debating back and forth with the... Uh, excuse me, with the, um, with the Pharisees, uh, turned out, I said verse 17, go down to verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. And whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. That's pretty amazing. 
So when Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb, who was he watching? He was watching the Father, wasn't he? He saw the Father speaking to a dead man. And in that, bringing him Jesus' glory. So that he could point again to the Father. You see, when you and I decide to walk in obedience, we're seeing where God is working in one sense. We hear the Spirit. Maybe something's happening. You know God's working around you. And you step out into that. You're stepping out into what God himself is doing. And you're becoming a part of that. I don't know about you, but every time I've ever done that, it's been nothing but good. God does something amazing. God does something wonderful when we step out and join him. Turn over to John chapter 15 about the vine. One of my favorite verses that I sort of go back to every so often is John chapter 15 verse 5. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. That's you and me. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So when we step out in immediate obedience to him and we follow him, we bear fruit. That's what he's talking about. And apart from him, it says what? We can do nothing. Now that doesn't mean we can't live. He knows we're living. But we can't do anything of eternal significance for the kingdom without him being plugged into him so when we see the father working he begins to speak into our hearts we hear that whisper in this case uh, mary heard uh, martha say hey jesus wants you she went to him that was the spirit whispering to her if you would you need to get over with jesus right now and see what he's about to do and she went to him as a result of that others followed Many believed. I would challenge you, if the Spirit of God, and you probably know when the Spirit of God is asking you to do something. You may be getting a little conflicted inside when the Spirit of God asks you, oh, I don't, oh I'm not sure I can do that. I'm, that's Him speaking to you. You know how I know that? <laughs> me. It's happened to me more times than I can even begin to count. The best thing to do is get up jump up, as Mary did, in immediate immediate obedience and go see what Jesus wants to do. Now, when she got to him, she begins this conversation with him. And I think that points to her, what I call, incomplete belief. She went to him understanding that he wanted her and that he was going to do something, but she didn't see all the entirety of what God was about to do. So, look at verse 32. Um, I don't know if y'all are putting this up here or not, but anyway. uh, Then Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, and she fell down at his feet to him, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you were here last two weeks ago, or if you read the passage, what did Martha say to him? Lord, if if you hadn't been here, he wouldn't have died. She understood that Jesus could heal people. She understood that Jesus could take care of things. She believed that Jesus could have healed her brother. Sounds good, right? 
But she did not believe or even have it on her radar that Jesus could rectify the present situation. He could do something outside of her reason, outside of her ability, outside of what she understood to be reality, and take care of the situation. Do you see that? She thought it was all over. Lazarus is dead and gone, and there's nothing that can be done as far as she can see. But please mark this. Nothing is ever done until Jesus says it's done. Nothing. Do you have a seemingly impossible situation? Do you have a situation that you've come to the conclusion that it is done and there's nothing that can be done? Have you asked Jesus to intervene? Have you waited for him to do what he sees the Father doing? Can you see what the Father is doing? Sometimes we have to ask God for spiritual insight, for spiritual eyes to see what he's doing. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed or focused on a given mess in and around our lives that we cannot see what God is doing, or we've not even looked. We're too preoccupied with the situation. But he is at work and, want, and waiting for us or someone else to join in with him. Listen, Jesus is there. And unless he indicates that he's finished with whatever it is the two of you are going through, it's not done yet. It's not done. Ask him to give you eyes to see what he's doing and then join in and watch what the Son of God will do. I'm, I'm personally hyper-concerned about our nation. I believe that unless God does something, I foresee my children and my grandchildren living in a kind of tyranny. All freedom gone, all prosperity gone, all hope seeping out of the future, all peace gone, all chance in my mind of the greatest mission-sending nation in history going up in futile smoke, if you would. This literally bugs me a lot. I think about it every day. But God is at work. The, the revival at Asbury started six weeks ago. It's spreading across our nation. God is moving. He's up to something, and I believe it's going to be big. He's not finished yet. He's not. This has lifted my faith, my belief that God can still have this nation and put her back to good use. I don't know if you know these statistics, but there's about 6 billion people in the world that need salvation. I do not believe God wants to send them to hell. My God loves humanity and wants the best for humanity. So I believe that he's up to something that will startle all of us. And will change the course of our recent history. Just keep your eyes on him. Look at the next part of this passage. Jesus has what I call an indignant response, if you would. There's only a couple of places in the New Testament where it's indicated that Jesus gets angry. In this 
in this passage, it, the, the translators use the word groaned. So if you, if you look at verse 33, it says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit. It's actually sort of a mistranslation. The, the Greek word does have the idea of groan, but more than that, it has the idea of being angered. Angered in an emotional way. And I, I, I sort of struggle, what would Jesus be angry with? Is he angry with them because of their unbelief? Is he angry with, uh, you know, death? I would think so. But what's he really angry with? Well, some think he was angry at, their, at the folks because of their unbelief, because of all the hoopla. They weren't really looking at him. They weren't understanding what God was about to do. But I don't think that's right. I think that Jesus is mad at Satan's tyranny brought on by sin and sorrow and death. The reason I believe that is that Jesus came to set the sinner free from sin and from sorrow and death. When confronting it in the flesh, he was angry about it. So angry that he eventually went to the cross to save us from sin, sorrow, and death. Notice in the shortest verse in the Bible that he wept. Verse 35. You remember... Uh, I think it's Tiny Tim or one of those uh, old movies. Uh, maybe it was Oliver Twist. And somebody was quizzing all the beggar kids for, uh, for getting some food. And they said, you have to repeat a verse of scripture in order to get uh, dinner tonight or whatever it was. And one of them walked up and says, Jesus wept. And she looked at him and went, you're right. <laughs> Shortest verse in the Bible. He may have wept because of the loss of a friend, but he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. So I don't think that was the reason he was weeping. I don't believe that was the reason he was angry. He was angry at what Satan put all his people through by taking Lazarus and leaving them with little hope. Then the people, this is the third time this question is asked. In verse 37 it says, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Well, it's sort of redundant, isn't it? Martha asks it, Mary asks it, now the people ask it. You know, we've seen him do miracles. Couldn't he have taken care of this? Not a single one of them thought that he could raise him from the dead. Now just think about this for a second. I don't know what any of you are going through in your personal lives. I have absolutely no idea, but the Spirit of God does. And you may think you're in a situation that cannot be overcome any way, shape, or form. And you've tried everything. If he had been here when he was alive, couldn't he have healed him? If he had been here when I was going through whatever I'm going through, couldn't he have taken care of it? Doesn't seem to have taken care of it. But he's not done yet. He's the Lord of the situation. It doesn't matter what's happened up to this point. When God steps into something, all bets are off for anything you believe. God's getting ready to do something else. They just hadn't seen it yet. 
Verse 38 says Jesus was still groaning in his spirit. And then he comes up and he, <clears throat> he comes up to the cave. And when I've read this in the past, maybe you've been this way, but I've gone, okay, Jesus says take away the stone. Then he has this discussion with Martha about the, the stench. What he was actually doing was he was asking Martha for permission to take away the stone. Because Martha was the next of kin, and that was the only person in, that, in the world that day, the next of kin, Mary probably could have done as well, who could give permission to open the grave again. So he says, take away the stone, and Martha, the sister of him who was dead, she's leaning on facts. She's leaning on the circumstances of the day. Some of you probably have been around someone who's been dead, or certainly an animal that's been dead. You know that it's just not a wonderful smell. <laughs> so she goes right to the facts. He's going to stink, Lord. He's been dead four days. She's not looking at the God of the facts. <laughs> she sees Jesus, but she doesn't understand. This is a situation she can't comprehend. Jesus is about to do something that's going to blow all her paradigms out of the water. Sometimes he has to do that. I hope he does that with you and me. Because when he does that, we see God working. It enables us to have fruit in the long run as he works through us. So, Jesus does the unthinkable, he asked to have the stone moved away. She says, well, he's going to stink. But then look at the next verse, verse 40. He says, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Whatever situation you're in, if you'll just believe, You'll see God manifest his glory in and around your life. He'll do that. Then it says in verse 41, they took the stone away from the place. They rolled it away. She was struggling, but she had enough faith to give permission for Jesus to roll this, or to have the stone rolled away so Jesus could intervene in 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 hebrews 11 verse 6 it says without faith it is impossible to please god god has called us to walk in faith see it up there but without faith it's impossible to please him for he for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligence diligently seek him jesus said how big does your faith have to be mustard seed you guys know how big a mustard seed is can you guys see the end of my pen right there <laughs> it's actually smaller than the end of a pen and he's saying if you got just that little bit of faith that's what martha had right now she had just that little bit of faith okay lord go ahead you can have them roll the stone back I'm not sure what you're going to do, but you can roll the stone back. 
God's calling us to just have mustard seed faith. Now, I, I want to tell you, mustard seeds can grow to be large plants. Anybody ever seen a field full of yellow weeds called mustard weeds? <laughs> I mean, they get to be about this high. They ruin the field. You know, there's a farmer uh, right down the road, rancher down the road from me, who every spring he has mustard grow up in his alfalfa. So he cuts the alfalfa with the mustard seed and he lets his cows out there to eat it. Then he grows another crop because it's worthless, basically. I don't think he wants to bale it. But he says, just that little bit and you're going you're gonna to see me move. Verse 41. Jesus, excuse me, yeah, verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Now, they apparently had had a discussion about this beforehand, and God had told him what he wanted him to do, and so he went to do it. Somewhere in that four days that he had, you know, he sat back when they told him uh, Lazarus was sick. Lazarus probably died the day the messengers came. He took two days, and then he comes and takes a day to get there. He's just arrived. It's four days. Somewhere in there, he and God the Father had this discussion. But then he says this, And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they might believe that you sent me. What's that all about? Who's he said he is? He said he's, that's bad English, but he said, I'm the Messiah. He'd been saying that. I'm the one. In, in John chapter 5, we had to kept looking at him. He finally shut the Pharisees up by saying, I am. When he said, I am, he's saying, I'm God in the flesh. And now he's saying, I'm the God over death. And if I'm the God over death, nothing is going to stand in the way of me right now and if they see it then they will believe that you sent me as their messiah he's the god of life he says i am the resurrection and the life jesus speaks and he prays and life happens satan is the author of death the father of lies he speaks and people die jesus speaks and people live have you heard his voice this morning? Not through me, but through his word. As his words expounded, he's trying to speak to us. He's the author of life. He has good for us. He has blessing for us. He wants us to take those steps with him of belief and faith so that he can do extraordinary things in and through and around us. He's not finished with America yet. He's not finished with this church in America yet. We may have been called in the past the frozen chosen, but I believe in the future we're going to be the hot ones for Jesus. And then Jesus yells at death, Lazarus, come forth! And you know what? Death can't hold him. And he walks out. He's in the grave clothes. It's all wrapped up. I sort of think that's a picture of a brand new believer. You ever seen a brand new believer? They're going, what just happened to me? Oh, this is wonderful, but 
what's just happening? They don't know what to do. They don't want to say. They don't know how to behave. You know, one of the best things that can happen to a church is to have baby Christians in them making messes everywhere. <laughs> really? You got to go around behind them, clean up the messes, explain to them why they didn't, shouldn't do this and why they shouldn't do that. They may use language you don't like. They may dress the way you don't like. Have you, some of you have seen the Jesus Revolution? Yeah? All the hippies came into the church barefoot. I challenge them to be barefoot in Montana, but anyway. <laughs> but when you're, when you're born again, you don't know what's going on. You need someone to come and unwrap you, if you would, disciple you, bring you along, encourage you, bless you, grow you up, show you how to do the Christian life. That's what discipleship is. But you've got to have that birth first. And that's, I believe, what you see here. There's always uh, a need for discipling and growing and helping and nurturing people. Last thing I want you to see from this passage. I didn't want to leave this. That's where I read down through the passage. Is there are always those who do not want God to win. There are always those who don't want to see God do something good. There's always those who don't want to see Christians prosper. We, we've been blessed as a nation to basically have had a Christian base and not have a lot of persecution within the borders of our country. That may change. But just realize God's still in control. Verse 45, it says, Many believed. But then you see this thing happening with the Pharisees. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. They were seeing the miracles. They knew he had raised the dead. They knew he had healed. They knew he had turned water into wine. They knew all this. And yet they, they stiffened themselves against what God was wanting to do. God had sent his Messiah and they had... They said, no, this isn't the one for us. I want you to notice what they were really interested in. It's right there in the passage. It says, then the chief priest said to the Pharisees, or, and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do for this man works many signs? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And then catch this, the Romans will come and take away both our place, which is their power, and their nation. You see what folks are, these kind of folks are interested is in power. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, you can look at it, I didn't have this one up there, but in 1 John chapter 2 it says that basically uh, you, you have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's power, pleasure, and position. That's the schemes of the devil right there. Where you see people trying to protect their power, realize whose side they're on. There are people out there that don't want the gospel to spread, that don't want to see people come to Jesus, that don't want to see goodness and life happen. They're not working for him. This morning, where do you fall? Do you believe? Are you really, I don't know about all this stuff. There's only really two responses to Jesus. Either you believe in him or you don't believe. Either you walk with him or you're against him. Well, you, I, I would never be against him. Oh, well, you, if, you're, 
in unbelief and you decide you're not going to walk with Jesus and you're going to do your own thing, you're, you're against him. I know I'm drawing a real stark line, but that's the starkness of it. We've forgotten that there is a hell, or we don't want to talk about that there is a hell, but there's a consequence for being in unbelief, and it is hell. But there's also a consequence for walking in even trembling faith, mustard seed faith, and it's heaven, and it's wonderful. And it's something I'm looking forward to. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, come and talk to me at the end of the service. And I'll, I'll just share how you can come to know him. I'll help you take the grave clothes off and get started. It's worth it. I was part of the Jesus movement type of people. I was a hippie. I didn't end up in California. I was too stoned out and drugged out until I was 23 years old. And then God got a hold of me. And my life's been changed. So I know the two. And there's only one way to go. And it's with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these startling reminders of who you are. And of what you can do if we'll just believe you and walk with you and trust you and Look for what you're doing. Lord, give us spiritual eyes to see your handiwork around us, to see how you're moving amongst our acquaintances and our circle of influence. And Lord, I pray that you would just use us. Help us to step out in immediate obedience so that we can see manifestations of your glory and greatness. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior this morning, may they make that choice to follow you with all their heart. May they just say, yes, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. And in that, Lord, I believe you'll, you'll bless them more than they can imagine as you've done me and many others here. Thank you for your great love for us for your wonderful faithfulness, for your gentle hand in our lives.